following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. It's really nice to be back with you again for week two of three. Um, we're looking at this theme of the glory of the church. Uh, last week we looked at um, what on earth is the church? And this week I want to look at who on earth is the church? So uh, we, if you've got a Bible if, and want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 11 together. So Ephesians 2 Verse 11, starting there. So Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, you'll remember that Ephesians has this kind of big cosmic vision for all things, just like what Graham's read out out of Colossians. It's that same big vision that kind of narrows as it goes through, as it has implications for everything, um, how we live with one another, how we live together in the church, how we live as uh, husbands and wives, how we live as parents. It goes through absolutely everything because this big idea is that God is going to renew and redeem everything, like what Graham's just read out of Colossians, through Christ. So that's, what, um, we're, that's kind of the big picture of, of what we're drawing from. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and on. So then remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one, and he's broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints, and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Let's pray. Lord, there's lots of confusion about what it means to be your people, to be the church. In the midst of our confusion and my confusion, can you speak your word of truth, please? Speak to us, Lord, because we want to know what it means to be your people, for Christ to be the cornerstone of all things, to hold the whole thing together. Help us to understand a little more of that today, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Um, the, the famous um, Polish sociologist Zygmunt Bauman um, 
who I happen to be studying for some research that I'm doing, he looks out upon Western culture and he says what he notices is the rise and rise of empty spaces. And by empty spaces, he doesn't mean vacant lots, he means places in which our togetherness is just empty of meaning, kind of meaningless empty spaces. And so he would typify empty spaces as malls, um, airport lounges, some cafes, places in which strangers meet but remain strangers. So they're designed to be a space that if you bump into one another, you'll keep on walking. So, and these empty spaces are empty primarily because of meaning. They have no meaning. They're kaleidoscopic and colourful, full of variety and difference, but we won't engage our difference in that space because what we've done is we've taken our distinct identities off at the door and we've hung them up on a hook as we enter into these empty spaces. And empty spaces are typified by the culture of civility. You know, um, you smile at one another, you're, you're polite to one another, you're civil, but you know that if you have an encounter with a stranger in, in an empty space, um, that encounter is not to be continued. Um, and so within the deaf world, there's a sign for, for this kind of civility, and it's this. All right? you, you put on this smile, um, and you kind of smile at people. Um, that's the way that strangers interact with strangers. We're civil to one another, but we move on. We don't want anyone kind of creating burdens for us, you know? Um, I don't know if you notice that in the mall. If you bumped into a friend, there's this impulse to keep moving, to say, oh, g'day, Graham, how, how are you? But we're not going to sit down and chat. We're going to keep moving. In a different space, we might pause and sit down and chat and catch up. So these are empty spaces, according to Bauman. And he says that these are growing and growing and growing within our society. There's more and more empty space. And we see it occur in some ways with the rise of what they're calling now ethnoburbs. Um, so once where we had fairly segregated communities and societies, now the segregation occurs by suburbs. So they're ethnoburbs, they're distinct segregated suburbs that you live in. Because what consumerism offers us is freedom and security in the right doses. Right? You're free to go and explore and enjoy, but you need the security of knowledge that no one's going to spoil your, your freedom. You know, you know that when you're in a mall in an empty space, there will be no loiterers or beggars like there might be if you're, you're going down Queen Street. Uh, there will be no protests about te tiriti or waitangi. There will be none of that within a mall. A mall is a purified space that upholds your freedom with your security. That's, that's an empty space, says Bauman. And within the West, we see this rise and rise of empty spaces because the high ideal of the West is my individual freedom. And we define our freedom as freedom from other people. To be free in the West is to be freed from other people who might burden us or make demands upon us or expect things from us. You know, kind of space invaders that invade our space, ask things of us. Um, there are particular and peculiar things in the West um, where often our elderly are taken to, to die away from home in the care of others. Um, for other cultures, it's just bizarre that that happens. But within the West, that's part of this impulse towards individualized sense of freedom, to be free from burden, to be freed from other people. 
And we often hear the call, I need more space. I need more space. Um, Online interactions are designed for you to be the individual master of your universe. You know, if there are any space invaders on Facebook, well, you can block them, you can hide them, you can unfriend them, you know? Um, The rise and rise of online shopping is that you don't have to interact with those, you know, shop assistants who might irritate you or or kind of change your opinion or... um, The joy of online dating is that, as they said in one survey, you can always push delete. Uh, It's less messy, you know? There's none of that messy, difficult, hard stuff. and what happens is that, that, that this is transferred into the church often. The church can become an empty space where, yes, we have this feeling of togetherness, but we actually don't want to be burdened by relatedness, by being in relation with people who are different than us. And often after church, coffee is, is kind of captured by this culture of civility. We're civil to one another, but we often aren't interacting. Uh, I have a friend who, who leads a community um, of, of disabled people. Um, it's at a place called Mount Tabor in West Auckland. And in this community, they, they live together as just not language of disabled, enabled, or carers and carees, or receivers of care, but just as friends in this community together. And what he says is when he's interacted with uh, many of the people within the community, he's found that about 95% of people with disabilities have never, ever been asked home in the churches that they attend for lunch. 95% of disabled people have never been asked to come for lunch after a church service. We become within the West these kind of marbles that roll together and chip and crack one another and then just roll off back home this kind of very highly individualized culture that we live in. Um, We're never in a space, we're in a space to be out of that space. We're in a suburb to get into the right school zones and then we're out of that suburb to move upwardly mobile further on. We kind of live as tourists, consuming whatever there is within that space, paying for the, the, the joy of doing that and leaving behind nothing but our rubbish. We kind of move on, we live like tourists. And within the culture of the West, it means there is the rise of the category of stranger. There's more and more strangers. Within the West, what used to happen with strangers was that strangers were, there was this impulse and drive towards purifying our society, which meant basically I need everyone else to be the same as me. And predominantly that was, for the likes of myself, white, male, um, you know, middle-class people. That was the goal. And so what you saw happen um, would be, say, disabled people would be put into behind the thickest of stone walls that we could build within hospitals for mental health, or others would be put into prison. The, the, the people who couldn't become like me were purified behind big, thick stone walls in what one person's called a state of suspended extinction. Um, kept out of my sight so that I can enjoy the security and the freedom of living in a place that everyone's like me. And there's huge issues of racism within New Zealand's history and culture. In Pukekohe, for example, um, you may not be aware, but there was basically apartheid in the 1950s. Um, Māori had to uh, sit in a barber's chair that was not used by anyone but Māori. If they went to the movie theatres, they were only allowed on the lower level, while upstairs everyone else went to the movies. They were not served within pubs. 
This is happening in New Zealand in the 1950s because it's this purification of society, this, this desire for freedom and security in the right doses means we purify the other. We move them on. We want to make them like us or we remove them from sight. In this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul picks up on this stigmatization of other people, the way we stigmatize others and create hostility between one another. And so he, he uses these terms, that, and this is common, we label other people. Um, he says, so then remember that at one time you Gentiles were by birth were called the uncircumcision, a label. He's not talking positively there, he's using a label to show the issues that are at stake. By those who are called the circumcision, another label. And he then goes on to say, a physical circumcision made, by the made in the flesh by human hands. And this phrase, by human hands, is only used in Scripture in relation to idols. What do human hands make? They make idols. And so Paul is highlighting to us that this language and these labels are part of an idolatrous form of being together. We label the other, we brand them as different, and therefore we create hostility between one another. Within the Jewish temple at the time that Paul's writing, there was within, you know, this huge issue, as there is today, if you think in regards to questions of Gaza, where I know you have a team that you're praying for at the moment within Israel, there's huge issues that are very long and deep and historical. In Paul's time, within the temple, there was a big wall that divided the court of the Gentiles from the court of Israel. And on the wall would be written things like, no Gentile is allowed beyond here by threat of death. If they go beyond here, we are, un we are not responsible for what happens to them. You, we will not have Gentiles beyond the wall that divided the court of the Gentiles from the court of Israel. That's, that was written in stone. We've found that archaeologically. We've found these stones that were written within the temple confines and in the temple walls. So don't ruin our togetherness by your otherness by your difference. You really will be a fly in our special ointment if, if you come beyond this wall. And what Paul says in this passage, you know, so, so the languages of being aliens and strangers, what happens? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. In His flesh, he has made both groups into one and he has broken down the dividing wall that's between us, the hostility between us. And Paul is deliberately, many commentators would say, picking up this imagery of the wall that would divide the court of the Gentiles from the court of Israel. Christ comes to break down that kind of barrier, that, that kind of hostility. And he comes as the one who is the peacemaker. He comes to offer us peace. So he came and proclaimed peace to you, in verse 17, who are far off, and peace to those who are near. And this is echoing the language of Isaiah, Isaiah 57, where Isaiah dreams of the day when Yahweh will come back and redeem and renew Israel, will create Israel anew. And in that time, Yahweh will come and he will say peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. Those are the hopes of Israel. And Paul says that's happening in the church, as the church learns to live into Christ and the barriers that he breaks down. 
That's what's happening in the church, is that the long hopes of Israel are being fulfilled in a community that is drawn together under God to live in peace with one another and to be at peace with one another, to overcome the hostility. As many of you know, I said before, there's huge issues happening currently in Gaza, Um, massive issues that need our prayer, that need our action, that need our Christian commitment and compassion and engagement in regards to justice and the God of justice. In 2009, there was a, a doctor who had worked for years within an Israeli hospital. He was a Palestinian man, a doctor who had worked within there. And he would give, he then moved to Gaza and he would give live updates from within Gaza about what was happening within, at that time in 2009. And he was on the phone one day, live broadcast on TV, when a rocket came and shelled the house he was in and his family was in. And live on TV, this man found out that it had killed his three daughters and his niece who were in the other room. So live on TV, as he's on the phone, this horrific thing happens and his three daughters are dead. There's blood everywhere. It's destroyed the home, it's destroyed his children and he's live on air. The man goes on to write a book called I Shall Not Hate, and it becomes one of the most profound books of our day. Many have labelled him, he's a Muslim man, many have labelled him today's Martin Luther King. I shall not hate, the commitment to not hate. And there are Christians in that place right now who are committed to not hating because they believe deeply that Christ is our peace, the one who overcomes the hostility between us, despite all the horrible things that are happening right now. Christ is committed to creating one people out of all peoples, one new humanity through His blood. And for Christians, we've often understood the language of Christ's death on the cross to be about relating us to God, um, sin and salvation, to overcome the separation we have from God through Christ. And that's absolutely true. I mean, no theologian's going to stand up and say that's not true. But Recent work, um, a guy many of you may know, who he is, aware of N.T. Wright, kind of, so Tom Wright, he's written what is really his, his magnum opus, his big, big book, and it's on Paul, and it's really changing the landscape of how we understand what Paul was talking about. And in that book, Tom Wright says, actually more significant and more common in Paul's letters is not simply the language of sin and salvation, but the scandalous unity of the church that that occurs more often in Paul's writings and is more central in his arguments than simply sin and salvation. Because what Christ's death upon the cross does is to relate us to God, yes, and to one another in peace. Christ's death upon the cross is to create one new humanity, not by kind of blending us all together as a homogenized kind of um, nothingness, an empty space, but a new humanity that draws together very different people into one body, a scandalous unity, for which the world would watch on on and think, wow, um, maybe if we're trying to consider issues like reconciliation in Gaza, we should talk to the church. The scandalous unity of the church, says N.T. Wright, is at the heart of Paul's gospel. It might have been easier for Paul to say, I tell you what, Yes, Christ has died on the cross, so what we should do for the sake of ease, uh, your comfort, and church growth, 
is to have a Jew church and a Gentile church. And actually, many church growth experts have told us precisely that. Let's have a homogenous unit principle. Let's grow churches that are like each other. But I think Paul would say, look, you're missing the heart of the gospel. The heart of the thing is that God reconciles different people to live at peace with one another. Not on the terms of, you become like me, but that actually Christ changes us all to become more like Him. One new people in Christ. It's not you become like me, as it has historically been within the process of colonization, but we will all become something new. To display to the powers and the principalities, like we're going to see next week, a new way of being, a true way of being human in relationship to God and to one another. See, the gospel makes a world of difference. Who on earth is the church? It's the new community, full of difference and otherness and, and, and fascinating array of diversity, learning to live at peace with one another. We're no longer aliens or strangers, but citizens. You know, we were refugees, but now we have a home in Christ together with one another to be His people. The church is a meaningful community, in a world of empty spaces. That's what we're called to be, to live reconciled with one another in relationship to God and one another. In the, in the Scriptures, freedom is not the Western idea of freedom from the other. Biblical freedom is to be set free in relationship and for relationship. I find my true being not by separating myself from everyone else. I find who I truly am in relationship through God, with Christ, to God and one another. Freedom is in relationship. I find who I truly am by being in relationship. So when people ask me, who are you? My response isn't, well, um, I'm Andrew, I am, I try to say six foot, but I'm not, five foot eleven. Um, I have blue eyes, a purple shirt, blue jeans. I mean, the police description idea of what it is to be Andrew. no. Who, are, who am I? I'm Margaret's husband. I'm Olivia and Amy's dad. I'm Ivan and Carol's son. You know, that, that's who I am. That's what makes me me. And ultimately, I am who I am because I'm a child of God. That's who I am, not what I am. God is creating a community of difference who are made one in Christ and the language that Paul goes on to use is the strongest possible language a Jewish person could use. To make a temple for God. The dwelling place. You know, Israel would, would, and you see this at Pentecost, there would be huge festivals where the people of Israel would descend upon Jerusalem to go to the temple because it was there that God was. We get our Psalms of Ascent, in Psalm 120 on, that they would sing on their journeys as they ascended to Jerusalem, to go and be where God is. Paul says, now, that is in the body of Christ, in the church, this community of people who are reconciled to God and one another, that is where God dwells. And the capstone, which in a building is the key one that gives alignment to everything else, holds the whole thing together, is in Christ. That's where God dwells, is in the church, by our ability to live in peace with one another. 
So I find my true being in relationship to God and to others. It's really interesting. Over the last four or five years, um, we've, uh, my, my family have been starting to, to, to develop friendships with deaf people. Um, my wife is about to finish her training to be a New Zealand Sign Language interpreter, so we've spent a lot of time, probably the bulk of our time nowadays is spent with deaf people. Just last night we had a birthday meal with six or seven different deaf people. So this journey of moving towards um, the deaf community has been huge for me, and in, in, in just I couldn't actually describe to you the way it's changed me. But one of the really interesting ones that, that I've found in, in moving towards the deaf community is how they name people how you're named. It's very, very interesting. In the hearing world, um, we tend to name ourselves by what we've done, what we've achieved, what we earn, what job we've got. You know, I was saying last week, I go to the hairdresser, this, this traumatic experience for me, um, as the hairdresser inevitably says, you know, what do you do for a living? And you sort of end up having to fess up, you're a theologian, and the conversation goes dead. <laughs> but that's often the journey, isn't it? Is, 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 when I meet with, with hearing people, the question is, oh, so what do you do? which is kind of, where do you fit, you know, on this ladder? Where, where can I place you? In the deaf community, there is never a question. I am never asked, what do I do? I, that, is, that comes so much further down the track. See, in the deaf community, you don't get to give yourself a name. You do not name yourself. In the deaf community, the community encounters you, and over time, the deaf community will give you a name. They'll give you your own sign name. So, you know, they give you a sign name because they don't want to be spelling out, you know, your name, you know, um, H-I-I-M-A-N-D-R-E-W, you know, like, that's just not how sign language works. So there's signs. And so they give you a name. The community experiences you and your contribution to the community, and they give you a name. You don't get to name yourself, which I think is pretty profound when we think about what the gospel says about what it means to be human. To be human is to be found in relationship to God and one another. That's what it means to be human. And to be in relationship, you know, I was talking with someone this morning, it's not all rosy. It's not all easy. In fact, it can be really hard and really painful and really difficult. It makes life much more complicated and difficult, but it makes life so much more interesting too. The gospel is that the living God through Christ is making a world of difference, and it begins with the church, and thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you call us into community, not just any community, not, not an empty space for community, but a community of difference who are made one in you. Lord, it's really difficult, and if we're honest, we don't know where to start, or how to start, and in what ways to start. How do we learn uh, to, to live with people who are different than us? We're thankful that you give us your Spirit, who empowers us to live in the community of difference. Lord, where we've shied away and preferred to be around people who are like us, can you forgive us? And can you... Uh, Shape within us another imagination of what it means to be human, to be in relationship with those who are different than us. And that in doing so, we are a community where the living God dwells. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, 
or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.